Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. I am Joe, and I'm still the host because Alex hasn't taken it from me. At BMADFTS on Twitter, the keeper of the real. And this is the aforementioned Alex. How's it going, Joe? You guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. Joe, happy to be back for another week, even if it didn't go quite as well for us, but we get more football. Yeah, we get, you're really understating it. We get one more football game. This year flew. It did. I feel like every season flies by, though. Like, the first four weeks take a little bit, and then you're like, oh, my God, it's week 13. And then, like, at some point in November, you're like, I don't really care. And then you get the, like, impending dread around week 16 and you're like oh shit there's like no more football um but to your point the conference championship kind of a rough week of football to watch and it was a terrible week for pod picks goddamn uh i didn't realize how bad it was because i had like been checking up on my own picks which ended up being okay but um the pod ended up negative three units because the chiefs blew it versus cincy and that busted up our parlay too. Yeah, so, tough. Um, I was I was the same way where personally it, it went well enough for me and I wasn't really paying attention, but yeah, I forgot about that. Damn well, the other thing is keep in mind, we'll get to that. Keep in mind both of our props that we talked about last week on the pod hit. We had Jamar Chase because we said, oh, that'd be a really good way to basically hedge against Cincinnati upsetting KC like he's gonna get his catches one way or another and if he does do well like if 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 since he's gonna win it's because he did well and to some extent that was true and then also Melvin Ingram sack uh it was a little bit more of a sweat than I thought it was gonna be the Chiefs only had one sack somehow in that game but it was Melvin Ingram yeah yeah that one that one floated me not gonna lie because the odds were pretty good on it that's three fucking units right there. Like, if you throw that on the pod picks, we're even again. Yeah, so it's definitely helped, but the games themselves we missed on. Do you want to get into the results of those games, whether it's fair or foul? Yeah, so we'll start off with Kansas City and Cincinnati. And I don't actually know. Like, Kansas City was very unlucky in this game. They left points on the board at halftime. I think they left points on the board a little earlier in the game, too. Didn't they miss a field goal? I don't know. The only one that I remember distinctly was the one and a half. Well, this is the problem. Oh, no, what it was is fourth. They went for it on fourth down and they didn't get it, like at midfield. Um, So they left points on the board twice in the first half. It should have been even more of a blowout than it was. And then Patrick Mahomes came out and just blew it. And a lot of people want to blame the defense that Cincinnati employed. Like, oh, they ran a lot more rush three, drop eight. Yeah, buddy, that's not the problem. It was nothing that Cincinnati did. And I think if they play that game 10 times, Kansas City wins nine times. But they played that game twice, and it went the exact same way twice. Yeah, so maybe you have to lower it to Kansas City wins eight times because we already have <laughs> two. <laughs> I like. I truly am befuddled by that game. I don't. Same, but you're right. It, it's exactly the same way the Bengals won last time. The Chiefs came out relatively hot went up at half by two scores or more. And then the Bengals just slowly climbed back and forced it into a tight game at the end of it. And in the first game, the Bengals had the last possession. I thought this game was going to go the complete opposite of the Chiefs had six minutes or whatever it was. We're going to run it down, score, and win the game. They goddamn near did. 
they did, but they didn't. Honestly, so against the Bills, the Chiefs had that one third down attempt where they took Patrick Mahomes off the field and they ran a speed option with Blake Bell. And everybody was like, oh, game on the line. You can't take the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Well, frankly, on that final drive for the Chiefs, not the overtime drive, which was abysmal, but on the final regulation drive for the Chiefs where they tied the game and sent it to overtime, I kind of fucking wish that they would have taken Mahomes off the field for one of those plays and done a wildcat with Kelsey or something. I mean, you're at like the four-yard line. Use some power. And additionally, I wish they would have taken, like not literally taken the ball out of Mahomes' hands, but taken the gravity of the situation out of his hands. Run one of those shovel passes. Run a pop pass. A jet sweep with a pop pass. Like Mahomes played so shitty in that second half. I don't know how in good conscience, as Andy Reid, you can go into first and goal and then three times just put the ball on Patrick Mahomes' arm or his brain. Like, it's clearly not working. Um, I think they did run it once, but I'm pretty sure just, like, they, they did run it once, but I'm pretty sure that that was a read. Like, it was an audible or a read because the entire offensive line was not run blocking. Like, they were basically RPO blocking. Yeah, I don't know. It might have been a, him going down where... That was the issue against the Bills, and it was in Andy Reid's head, and so I'm going to live or die by Mahomes. Might also have been that he was just waiting for Mahomes to get it done, or he had more faith in him than he did in their run game. Mahomes did not get it done, though, as you so as you pointed out, and we all know because the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. I think this one ultimately is a fair result because it's happened twice now. I think it's a strange result, a confusing result, definitely. But two for two on kind of similar and, you know, flow of the game. I don't know. It might, it kind of seemed like the Chiefs let up and then couldn't get going again. But I don't know if that's just playing into armchair psychology. I, I kind of saw it, especially on defense. Their defense really did just like they stopped. Tr- the reason that the Bengals came back in the second half in large part is because three or four times the Chiefs had Joe Burrow literally in their grasp. All they had to do was wrap up and he was sacked and it was fourth down punt game is in hand and they were making arm tackles and like chris jones had two sack attempts on burrow where he literally never even grabbed him like he didn't actually get hands on um like he he hit him he slapped him on the back but he tried to just like pinch the jersey you can't do that like it's a man grab the man throw him down um I, i think that was largely the difference in the game additionally um, the the Bengals did run their screens and they worked because they weren't wrapping up. They didn't wrap up on Samaji Piran. They didn't wrap up on Jamar Chase. And T. Higgins had that first play in the second half where they hit him for about 12 yards and he got a fuck ton of yak because nobody was intent upon tackling. And I think that that is indicative of thinking the game's over. But on offense, I really just think that it was poor performance. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. All right, you want to move on to the next game? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, I think that the Rams beating San Francisco by just three was actually unfair. And I think the Rams should have covered all numbers. I think this game should have been a blowout. I agree with you, but I feel like that's how we've looked at San Francisco for a really long time now. And for whatever reason, they're just able to make it work despite having a not good quarterback. But they just have so many offensive weapons that they're able to get the ball in space, that they're able to keep things competitive with their strong D-line. So, I I mean, I think definitely fair that the Rams won 
yeah, maybe they should have won by a little bit more, but I think in the end, close win by the Rams is kind of what we expected. I mean, hell, the line makers nailed it. Yeah, and that that is why we said, like, wait, wait until game time, get that minus three, and if you have to, wait until into the first drive. And sure enough, if you waited into the first drive, the reason I personally made money this week is because it dipped down to minus two and a half right away. Like, literally, the second kickoff happened, it went to minus two and a half, minus 120, and the Rams got in a third and long on the first drive, and it turned to minus 115. I took that shit, and I cashed. And then, obviously, I hammered Rams' money line in the second half. Um, but I mean, like, A little bit of sweat. A little bit of a sweat. It was, it was a little bit of a sweat, and after the way that Kansas City went, I was thinking, like, are we really going to have a Super Bowl with two C-plus teams, two, like, nine and seven caliber teams? Uh, we're not quite that unlucky. Although we're close. Um, I like this is another one where people want to give San Francisco credit. Oh, San Francisco's D played so well, their special teams are so good. I'm not gonna give San Francisco's defense credit for picking off Matt Stafford in the end zone on a ball that was deflected. It wasn't a good throw to cup. And he like it was a bad decision to force it to cup in that scenario. It was a slant and he was blanketed with behind leverage. Um, and then Stafford threw the ball like a half step behind cup. Cup gets a hand on it, but you can't expect him to one-hand a fastball with his short side hand. That's insane. Um, and so the ball pops up and it gets picked. And, like, that's bullshit. It probably shouldn't have happened. It probably should have fell incomplete, and they probably should have gotten at least a field goal there. Later in the same half, the Rams miss a field goal. And even if we assume that all the busted plays that San Francisco scores on are just, like, what they do because Kyle Shanahan's a genius because Debo is so dynamic, fine. It's an extra 10 points for the Rams, you know? Yeah. And frankly, those 10 points coming early mean that Jimmy G has to throw earlier. And we saw exactly what happened when he had to throw on that last drive. It's not good. No, it's pretty bad. And you know what's fun is I uh, I don't think it's any better next year with Trey Lance, which really just, I love hating San Francisco. I know, but they're going to be frustrating again because they'll still be okay in spite of it. Unless he just turns yep. the ball over like crazy. He, and he will. Um, he will be worse for them than Jimmy G, but they will hit one big trick play per game minimum, like some 80-yard arm punt. Debo's just standing down there trying to catch it for a fair catch in the end zone. But alas, we're not breaking down San Francisco 2022 just yet. We'll save that for summer. Um, All right, so do you want to jump into the pumpkin report? All right, Joe, getting into the conference championship pumpkin report, you want to kick us off with Joe Burrow and Mahomes? Homie, you sound like you're about to dish it to me for traffic and weather. That was really good broadcast voice. I appreciate it. I told you I had to get ready. <laughs> New pod. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the AFC championship because it happened first. This game was really fun to watch at first and then just so excruciating. So in the first half, it looked like we might actually have a game between two non-pumpkins because Patrick Mahomes had one of the best first halves I've ever seen. In the first half, Patrick Mahomes was accurate on 91% of his passing. That's good. Uh, like, not counting his throwaways, obviously. There was one throwaway, 91% accuracy on the rest. 37.5% of his dropbacks were positive. 52.2% of his dropbacks were fine. Pedestrian plays. And then only 8.3% of his dropbacks were bad. So, like extrapolated over the course of a full game that is an all-time performance that is a 50 burger type game that is an absolute blowout that is laughing at how the Bengals even made the playoffs bad right like that's bills versus patriots level but like worse that happened. Hand, what's that did that happen no 
No, I you want to get into Burroughs first half first. I was gonna, but you know what? Your segue was so good. You're 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 really I might have to make you host, actually. God damn. No, I'm scared of that much responsibility. I'll freeze up at that level. Co-host keeps me keeps me comfortable. It's like backup well, speak- quarterback. I was gonna say, speaking of freezing up, that's exactly what Patrick Mahomes did in the second half. Hell but, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um so second half altogether, right? He ended with 60% accuracy. And again, that's taking out the throwaways. He had two pickable balls just in the second half and a fumble. He ate three sacks that he did not need to. Accurate on 60% of passes. So remember how I said that he had a 37.5% positive plays in the first half? Well, that dropped to 14.3% in the second half. And that mistake-free 8% negative play first half, that turned into 43% in the second half. So basically, if he dropped back, damn near a 50-50 shot, he was going to hurt you. Damn near a 50-50 shot, he was going to give you a cheap pedestrian play. And that that remainder, that damn near, that was his positive play, 14.5%. And it it's a tough actually, way to end the game. It wouldn't have been that bad. In fact, the Chiefs would have won and probably covered if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes' last two drives, because in the last two drives of regulation, mind you, he had a pickable ball and a fumble, and he ate two bad sacks. And both of those bad sacks were actually uh, in very costly scenarios, including the sack fumble he had on third down that almost cost them against the tie. In the last, so I gave him a negative 12 slugging score, and I'm not going to get into what that means. It's kind of a complex algorithm. Don't worry about it. Negative 12 slugging score in the second half. That's really abysmal. All-time bad stuff. But negative 6.75 of that came on the last two drives alone. So we're talking about like two of the worst drives you've ever seen strung together. This is golf versus the Bears in 2018 level shit. This is Justin Fields versus the Browns level shit. And it's coming from Patrick Mahomes in crunch time with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And Andy Reid calling plays against a bad Bengals defense. Not not bad, but average. Yeah, I think average is accurate. So overall, despite like, he had an all-time first half, and then he had an all-time bad second half. And for once, like it was so blatant that QBR, me, and PFF all were just in fucking lockstep. Verbal meme, Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man in this one case. Or even better verbal meme. It's the strong guys, and there's the black guy handshaking, white guy handshake, and in the middle, it's just, what the fuck was that bipolarity for Patrick Mahomes? Uh, dare I say Patrick Mahomes turned into a pumpkin? He did at the end of the game. Like, if in the first half, you are a beautiful sports car, and in the second half, you are a gigantic rotted pumpkin, are you a pumpkin? I mean, the end is a pumpkin, so I guess. I mean, if we're going to be really literal about it, when Cinderella, when Cinderella started partying, she had a nice chariot or carriage or whatever the fuck. But all, nobody remembers that. They remember at midnight when that shit would turn back into a pumpkin. And when the clock struck midnight, it was Patrick Mahomes throwing a pick in overtime to lose the game. Although, I will say, his pick in overtime was easily his best throw of the second half. It, like, it, it hit Tyreek Hill in the hands 25 yards downfield. It was just a bad decision. He should have been picked off on at least one of the two prior plays. Yeah, it was. I I got real excited when Kansas City got the ball. Obviously, we bet on them, so I was rooting for him. It was like, all right, this is a repeat of the week before. 
offense isn't humming to the same level, but come on, this is when, when you bust out everything, right? And then it just went bad very quickly. It was just bad throw after bad throw after bad throw. Oh, the first pass you saw, he didn't have it. He wrote, oh, I don't remember which came first. I think the first one was the one where he threw it down the sidelines and like he missed the throw, but if he had hit the throw, it would have been a pick. And then the second one, he, he threw a slant to Tyree Kill that was two yards behind Tyree Kill, hit the fucking defensive back in the titties. So it was, we've given enough lip service to the King Pumpkin, the crowned pumpkin. We need to talk about the Arch God Pumpkin. That was Joe Burrow's second half. Or actually, we didn't even talk about his first half yet. Yeah, we, we gotta talk, we've got to talk about Joe Burrow's first half because it was actually pretty good. Like, it was substantially good. Uh, I gave him a B-plus for the first half. He had one great throw, which is rare for Burrow, and he only had three bad throws. It was fairly mistake-free football. He didn't eat any sacks. He maneuvered the pocket well. He had that one positive run. He threw the ball away three times, but they were all justified throwaways. 80% accuracy. 31.5% positive plays. That's a B plus. That's solid football. If he played that way all game, I mean, I don't know. Actually, if he plays that way all game, they don't win the Super Bowl because they're just not good enough. But that B plus football is really good. Yeah, it's, it's great. That's what you want to see out of him. Fuck yeah. Like, if you could play a B plus football game every game, you'd be a top five quarterback in the NFL. Yes. Uh, problem is Joe Burrow couldn't even play one full game of B plus football because despite storming back in the second half, he didn't actually do anything. Just um, walk me through that. In the second half, I first of all, I'd like to highlight that Joe Burrow tried to lose this game by throwing two pickable balls. One of them did get picked and it brought Kansas City back to tie, right? But the other one, which would have sealed their fate and made them lose, he threw directly to Nick Bolton, who is a solid linebacker for the Chiefs. Like, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. It it was one of those plays where it's so bad, I almost don't want to call it pickable because something must have gone terribly wrong. He's rolling right, it threw, I don't know what he threw. <laughs> it was like eight yards short of his receiver directly at Nick Bolton. I, I have no idea. Like, it wasn't like he was trying to throw it away. No, I don't know if he got confused and he thought like, oh, that's my guy. Oh no, it's a linebacker. I don't know if he was like halfway to throwing the ball and he was like, oh, wait, there's a linebacker. Shit, I got to put this low. It looked like he threw a back shoulder fade to the linebacker. Yeah. And he almost got it. And he should have had it. It it wasn't a hard catch. Um, He got bailed the fuck out. And speaking of getting bailed out, everybody's going to remember those two third down plays, both against Chris Jones. Chris Jones has a dead to rights for a sack. And then just Joe Burrow somehow slips out and maneuvers the pocket and gets a completion to convert or run. But I went back and I looked at the tape closely. And on neither attempt did Chris Jones actually try to tackle Joe Burrow. So, like, it looks cool as fuck, but Joe Burrow didn't really do anything to avoid the sack. On the second one, Chris Jones tried to grab him by the jersey, like, just with his hand, like, just grab the jersey by the back, like he's picking up a puppy by the fur, you know? Like, you know how you can pick up a puppy or a kitten by, like, the nap of their neck? Nape. I don't know. I read these things. I don't, I don't. Okay. I don't talk about napes of necks. I guess I am right now. <laughs> anyway, that's basically yeah, when you grab a small animal by the nape of their neck. I got you. I know what you're saying. Well, Chris Jones was trying to grab Joe Burrow by the nape of his jersey. I don't fucking know why. And like he was right there. He had all the time in the world. Joe Burrow's literally leaned over, like bent over, like a fucking like an emu hiding his head in the dirt. Like went deep for that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to give Burrow credit because there are a lot of guys that sack themselves in those situations. I mean, shit, Burrow does it sometimes. Uh, but he was able to get out of it. 
and he made it happen again. I don't want to give him too much credit. Chris Jones tried to tackle a guy by the jersey by pinching his jersey rather than just pushing him over slowly, which was very much on the table. I It's like a few years ago when Deshaun Watson rolled out in the wild card game against the Bills and he got hit by the one safety who was blitzing, but he got hit so hard he flew into a defensive end who was blitzing from the other side and he basically just ping-ponged off of them and like ended up standing on both of his feet. He didn't do anything. He just existed as an object in nature that was acted upon by literally equal and opposite forces. And in this case, Joe Burrow just happened to not be a pinchable quarterback. They had the extra tight jerseys on. Well, like, if it was Big Ben, maybe this works a little bit better because, like, you know, a little bit extra pinch on doing the bit. But, like, I'm not giving Joe Burrow credit for wearing tight clothes. Yeah, I like, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, what an unbelievable move. The guy's a superstar. But I'll give him a little bit for staying upright and converting, though I do think it uh, the reaction to it is overinflated. I, yes, and I, I do think that we should focus once again on the fact that, like, the two sacks that should have been sacks but were not sacks, first of all, I did not grade them as sacks on Burrow. And in fact, I did give him props for being able to improvise after that. Like, after Chris Jones tries to pinch you and you, like, stand up and you're like, oh, he didn't simply push me over? What a jackass. You could sit there and think, what a jackass. Or you could take off running. And he did, so he gets a pocket move for that. Like, that's a positive play, good improvisation, good job. Joe Cool. But the motherfucker threw two pickable balls in crunch time and was only accurate on 63% of his fucking passes in the second half, despite the fact that the vast majority of his passes were short, including a touchdown scored on a screen pass, including lots and lots of five and six yard routes to Jamar Chase all throughout the second half. It just wasn't impressive. Yeah, I mean, he continues to just kind of be cool Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and I, I do think that pays off a little bit because Kirk Cousins is a guy that would sack himself in the Chris Jones situation. But it's still a Kirk Cousins level of talent. Uh, he's solid. He's going to make the right decision. going to trust his playmakers. He'll get out of stuff and he'll have a good attitude for the team. But he's just not a special thrower of the football. I, I will say he handled pressure just so much infinitely better against Kansas City than he basically ever has before. We're talking about a guy who usually eats sacks for breakfast, like creates sacks out of nowhere all season. And in this game, he created no sacks for himself, and he actually had 12 positive pocket movements, which is a departure from what we're used to from him. So this was actually one of Joe Burrow's best games of the year, and I gave it a C. Like, on the game, Joe Burrow was accurate on 70.6% of his passes. Mahomes was accurate on 78.4. So Mahomes is almost 10% more fucking accurate. Joe Burrow had a positive play on 28.5% of his passes. Patrick Mahomes, terrible second half included, was 26.7. So damn near the same shit. Joe Burrow, negative plays on almost 24% of passes. Patrick Mahomes, or not passes, dropbacks. Patrick Mahomes, negative plays on 24.4% of passes, or dropbacks. God damn it. It was almost identical performances. It's just Patrick Mahomes fell further. Like, Patrick Mahomes started off so great with three elite throws in the first half and just clean accurate football so the fact that he fell down to about the same level as joe burrow by the end of the game is really impressively bad but joe burrow did nothing special it's a c like this is this is what you expect from a dak a kirk a burrow like it's if nick bolton catches that interception we're not talking about joe cool leading the bengals to the promised land on his back 
we're talking about Joe Burrow fucking up a really good opportunity to take a game that Patrick Mahomes is begging to give you. That's fair. I mean, I think that's kind of where he'll sit. I don't, I don't know that he's completely done improving. I think he'll get a little bit smarter and whatnot, and he'll continue to improve with pressure. But yeah, I think this is kind of the type of dude he is. Oh yeah. And frankly, when you're a 25 year old quarterback, you probably are what you are. Keep in mind that Joe Burrow is like three or four, you know, four or five years younger than Russell Wilson, who's like over the hill. I think Russell Wilson's 31 or 32. Oh, we'll do quick, quick Googling. All right, we've done some fact checking and actually Russell Wilson's 33, not 31. But here are a few quarterbacks that are close to Joe Burrow's age. Jameis Winston, who is roughly two years older. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who are both one year older. Let's not talk about Joe Burrow as some young phenom quarterback who's got another 15 years in the league. He's got 10 if he's lucky, and I don't think he's lucky. So yeah, this is what he is, and it's what he's going to be, and it's not impressive. It's enough. It's fine. It's not that far off from what Andy Dalton was five, 10 years ago. Yeah, he's just, he's just cool. He is cool. And that means something. Maybe it's 5% of being a quarterback. Maybe it's 10, but it's not more than 10. I agree with you. I think it plays in 5%, 10% sounds about right. But enough about these guys. You want to get into the other quarterbacks? I think it's about time because we only got one dude who's not a fucking pumpkin this championship week. And I'd like to talk about it. Start me off. We're going to do Stafford. We'll do the whole Stafford experience. So Matt Stafford in the first half, yes, the same half where the Rams were losing by like, what, 17 points? By double digits, for sure. Was elite. Almost as good as Mahomes was in his first half. He was accurate on 76% of passes. 42% of his dropbacks were positive. That's higher than Patrick Mahomes' first half percent. It's That's like an insane number. Now, 21% of his plays were negative, which is not as clean as Mahomes' first half. That's why there's a little downgrade. But that's an A-plus first half. Now, he threw the pick in the end zone that we talked about, but he didn't really throw a pick so much as the 49ers turned a ball into a pick. That probably should have fallen harmlessly to the ground. It, it was a bad throw and a bad decision, but it sh- if the ball bounces down instead of up, it's a whole different ball game because now it's second or third down. In real tight, Rams are good in the red zone. At the least, they have a Pro Bowl kicker. It's also a Pro Bowl kicker who missed a field goal, but whatever. In the second half, all anybody wants to talk about, if you listen to all the fucking national shows, is how Matt Stafford tried to throw a pick to Jaquiski Tart, and Jaquiski Tart dropped that punt of a pick. And oh boy, was that a terrible throw. It, like, he bit off way more than he could chew, because I saw what he was looking at, his receiver was going to be wide the fuck open 80 yards downfield for a clear touchdown. But Matt Stafford, somebody's got to tell him that he doesn't have the arm he used to because it still went a good 60 yards, maybe 65, but that is significantly underthrown. And that is why it looked like a bad punt. Yeah, that was not a good throw. And yeah, whether he, he doesn't know he doesn't have it or he just forgot, he had a little bit of a flashback and he was like, oh my God, there it is. Felt 26 again. It was online, too. It was online. It was. There's a day and age. There's a day and age where that receiver concusses himself hitting his head on the goalpost because Matt Stafford leads him directly into the end zone. Mm -hmm. But we're we're a little past that day and age. And that was very on this throw. I was not a barred attorney in that day and age, to say the least. I don't know if I was in law school. (laughs) 
But like, I don't know if he could have done that two years ago. There was a time, a time has passed. I'm sorry, Matt. That said, you take away that pick. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. The rest of the fucking half was incredible. Now we can't take it away. We can't do that. So it's still a B performance in the second half. But to everybody who wants to say, Matt Stafford tried to give that game away with that terrible pick. and He got so lucky. My retort is, God kind of fucking owed him one after that pick in the end zone. It shouldn't have been a pick. So as far as luck goes, the Rams basically broke even on quarterback. I think that's a fair fair assessment. They, they definitely got incredibly lucky on that drop pick. But oh, yeah. They've, they've oh. gotten screwed on a handful of those. Every football team does. But it was kind of fitting that it happens within a, a couple quarters. Well, I mean, yeah, let's let's say Jaquiski Tart, like the moment before Jaquiski Tart throws that ball, I'm sitting here thinking this game is a fucking, this is bullshit because the Rams should have scored a touchdown on that throw to, to Cup that got picked and they should have kicked a field goal and there should be a blowout and it's not fucking fair. And then the Tart drop happens and you're like, okay, everything's okay. Back to even. Whatever happens now, it's fair. Okay. Exactly. It, it just brought it all level. By the way, we were on the phone. So for whatever reason, my Hulu live subscription is always like three seconds behind your live TV. And we were on the phone and you just go, oh no. And I'm sitting here thinking, fuck, I just bet like three grand on the Rams money line. It's over, isn't it? And then I see Matt Stafford cock back to just launch one. And I'm like, oh no, it's fucking (laughs) over. And I see it hit Jaquiski Tart. And I'm like, oh my God, that was worth an oh no. And then I see him drop it. And I just, I had been silent this whole time. I'm having a dilemma in my head. I go, oh no. <laughs> That's the only possible response. It was, it was perfect. Yeah, no, I was, it, it was pretty good and not giving anything away. Cause I knew I was like just a, a little bit ahead of you, but that one I couldn't control. <laughs> I went on such a fucking roller coaster, man. That was a road trip across the United States in a matter of three seconds. But like, okay, I'm doing the thing though. I'm doing the same thing that all the media did where they're like, oh, Stafford tried to give that game away. No, he fucking didn't. Because if you look at his whole game, he had like, if you look at his stats, he had a pick and then really good stats, right? Well, if you look at the chart of like grading every play, he had one ball that deserved to be picked. So that's the same. Those actually match. And he was accurate on 80.5% of passes, 40.5% of his dropbacks were positive, only 21.3% of his dropbacks were negative. It's a really good fucking day. That's A plus grade in the NFC championship against a defense that people wrongfully told me was really good. So I'm waiting for my roses and my candy and my blowjobs from all the people who have told me for so long that I'm crazy for having Matt Stafford as a top five NFL quarterback. It turns out he just needed to not play for the Lions for you guys to see it. You should post your address and let everyone know where they can send all these things. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. But yeah, it, it's helpful to get out of Detroit. I think there are a handful of franchises that actively hold people back. Detroit is one of them. Cleveland probably fits into that list. What about Cincinnati? Joe Burrow transcended it right away. He's a winner. They're fine, though. I mean, like, they've had success before, and guys have, like, had lengthy they positive took careers. to the playoffs, like, four times. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it definitely helps get out of Detroit, and I'm happy he's able to get out and have this success and kind of show it off. Okay. But the other side, how was Galapagos? Exactly. So... 
I insinuated that I don't quite believe that Joe Burrow is a quote-unquote winner because I don't think that quote-unquote winners really exist. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is another person who has been accused of being a winner. And in this case, he certainly the fuck won. Like Burrow, he actually started off okay. In the first half, the 49ers asked him to do almost nothing, and he did it with a uh, – I gave him a B, which is about as much as you can get when you throw 10 passes and a half. But he had an elite throw for the first time in, like, at least a month. He had a deep throw. It led the receiver perfectly. I think it was Ayuk. not certain. It was Ayuk. Yeah, it was a perfect throw down the right sideline. It was he, I mean, he had two steps on the corner. You know, he had a good two-yard gap. But Galapagos hit him on the fucking hands. It was perfect. And then, you know, he had three little, like, 10-yard curl shots. They were all nice. He only missed three passes. No turnovers. No self-sacks. No fumbles. Look at you, Jimmy G. And then, like Burrow, the second half came. And uh, that was much less good. He threw two picks to Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey dropped both. It was funny. Um, the last drive, his pick, I'm not really going to hold him accountable for a pick. It was a bad throw, but he didn't have much of a choice, and he was literally falling down when he just launched it. I'm not going to call that a pickable, mostly because I didn't have to. He was already terrible, but also partially because, well, it's actually mostly just because I didn't fucking have to. Like, given the circumstances, it's third down. You need a ton of yards. You don't have much time. You need to score. I get it. Um he threw two picks, both to Jalen Ramsey, both off of his shoulder pads. Jalen Ramsey disappointed again. He was terrible all night. Uh, Debo cooked him, like, all day. And yeah, he, plays, he had no chance. Well, and both of the picks that Jalen Ramsey dropped, they weren't Jalen Ramsey being in great leverage. One of them is because he, Ramsey got fucking toasted on a slant, and Garoppolo just threw it two yards behind the receiver. It was a Trevin Diggs pick. Yeah, if, if, if Jalen Ramsey had actually been good at covering wide receivers, he would have been nowhere near that ball. Um, and the other one, Garoppolo just underthrew, and Jalen Ramsey was like, oh, there's a punt. I'll go catch it, and then he didn't. So Jalen Ramsey basically turned in a Trevon Diggs game with, but like if Trevon Diggs had three broken fingers, maybe more, like 10 broken That's not the game you want to have. No, no, and I... I I think everybody knows I fucking love the Rams and I've loved them all year, but Jalen Ramsey is legitimately the biggest fraud in football. Mate, well, I guess we'll find out in the Super Bowl who's a bigger fraud. Jalen Ramsey or Joe Burrow. It's one of them. We'll find out. But overall in the game, Jimmy Garoppolo was once again putrid. Uh, in the second half, he, com- he was 40% accurate. You got to hear these. Second half, accuracy percentage Jimmy Garoppolo, 40%. That's, there's no throwaways. There's no screens that go bust and he just tosses it in the ground. No, 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 no. Aimed passes, 40%. Positive plays, 20%. Not the worst. I've seen worse. Negative plays, 60%. You give Jimmy Garoppolo the ball. You have him receive a snap and drop back. More times than not, he's hurting you. I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan. Jimmy Garoppolo, pumpkin extraordinaire. The performance probably should have been worse. So, overall, our pumpkin report is... Patrick Mahomes, regrettably a pumpkin. Joe Burrow, still a motherfucking pumpkin. Jimmy Garoppolo, epitome of a pumpkin. And Matthew Stafford, a legitimate fucking sports car. Yeah, go Matt. It's about fucking time. I'm just, I'm replaying all the tweets in my head when people were talking about, is Matt Stafford really a top 12 quarterback just because he goes to the Rams? And I was sitting there with my phone in my hand on the beach in Los Angeles, which is a better place than New York. And I was thinking, these motherfuckers, 
he doesn't get better because his surroundings get better. Like this ice cream isn't tastier on a hot day. It tastes the same. I just appreciate it more. Like, and the fact that people were like, deep breaths, the fact that people were like, well, you know, now he's got Sean McVay and the good Rams team around him. I think he could be a top 10 quarterback. And I'm like, ah, you motherfuckers. He's the second best quarterback in the league behind only Brady. R.I.P. in peace. You got some vindication. He's playing in the owl. And he better fucking win it. Um, I have one more side topic for the pumpkin report because I need your take. I This is something that intelligent people need to flesh out because too often the only people talking about it are unintelligent. Well, don't know why you're asking me then. Me neither. Okay. I asked you a little earlier. Explain why you don't think there's such a thing as a winner, like as far as quarterbacking goes or footballing in general. Like, why aren't winners a thing? Well, I just think there are too many variables that a guy isn't a winner just because games often turn out in his favor. I think there are people that are clutch that perform better in high pressure situations. I can agree. I with don't that. like, I think you're right. And I think that people like to make football is a thing that people do, right? And well, almost none of us, probably none of us, have ever played professional level sports of any kind and we certainly haven't played nfl football and by any of us i mean you me and all the people listening like we've all done things even competitive things even if it's as simple as a group project in school right and like you've never been in a group project with a kid who maybe he wasn't that smart and his grades weren't that good but he was just a winner and therefore you got the a despite putting in a kind of a crappy performance and like so no there's no such thing as a winner And like maybe in the same group project, there's a dude who doesn't really help do any of the work because he's kind of stupid, but he's such a good fucking guy and he makes you feel good about yourself. He makes you motivated. He's a great leader. But like, if you have to do the whole project yourself, how much does that really help? Like, it's nice. It might make you a little better at your job. Like you might be a bit better of a student in that case, but like, does it help a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said, at least in this analogy, when you're a pleasant person or you you just get along with everyone really well stuff does go easier for you a a teacher or professor is going to give you the benefit of the doubt with uh, the people doing the project or people that they like and I think it kind of plays in the same way with football where it helps like we talk about Joe Burrow where I don't think he's a winner that some has some innate ability that just helps things go well and uh in clutch situations i think he handles pressure decent and he's got the the good personality for it but like deshaun watson was another one that people always talked about it's oh he's just a winner he doesn't have the greatest arm but he's mobile and he's just a winner he played at clemson won the natty and everything like that and he was the same thing where i think obviously stuff has happened since then but things have changed Right. But for his playing career, people talked about, oh, he's a great guy. He makes things happen. And he's just that personality that gets a team going. So I think there's something to be said about that. But there isn't anything that just like somehow compels the team to victory. And I think anytime someone mentions a winner, it's just a bunch of bullshit and not really diving into what happened. I completely agree. And like to extend my analogy and like support you, clutch is totally a thing because. There are some real fucking smart people who they got to stand up in front of the class and present the project that you guys just worked on. He did all the fucking work. He knows it inside and out. He just can't fucking hack it when the lights are on, very literally. And like, that shit happens. 
it's no different with football. I mean, everybody's got a little higher level of, you know, performance confidence, but people get nervous and that happens. Um, no, it's just, it's the most frustrating thing. And it's all you're hearing lately on TV, radio, social media. Oh, Joe Burrow is just a winner. He changed the culture. What the fuck is the culture? Do you think like two years ago, people were walking into the Bengals facilities like, damn, I just don't understand how one wins a football game. Like I've seen it on TV, but like, what do they do? Like score less points than the other team? Complete fewer passes for fewer yards? Like they knew what to do. Maybe they weren't so dedicated, but that's more an extension of them not being good players. Like Joe Burrow didn't change the fucking culture. The greatest compliment you could pay a dude for being like a winner or a culture changer is that like the touchdown Tom Brady thing where your team never feels out of it because they've got this guy and they really trust him. I think Joe Burrow has that. I think the Bengals truly think like, oh, we're never out of a game. We got Burrow. And I think that that probably helps them like a quarter of a point, a half point. Like it's not going to transcend anything. Yeah, I think they definitely have that belief in him. And I think he has that belief in himself and his teammates. And that's why they've kind of had this, I don't want to call it quite a Cinderella run, but it's close to that. It's a Cinderella run. You could argue they should have lost all three games and they pulled them out. But so they have that confidence and that definitely plays in because football is such a psychological game. But yeah, I don't think it's like crazy valuable. I think if you get into really tight situations or whatever, if you're like live betting, but when it comes to actually sitting there, I, I don't really think it matters all that much. Yeah. Like playing a game, like the actual game of football, it probably matters a little bit, a little bit more at least. I just don't understand how anybody could look at what Matt Stafford has done for the last 12, 13 years in Detroit, playing great football and getting nothing to show for it. Clearly he's all, I mean, Nobody has ever insinuated that he's changed his working habits or he's, you know, gravitated towards the culture of the Rams and really run with it. Like, it's not like he's changed at all. They all say he's the same guy. So he's doing the same things. He's playing the same caliber. He's the same guy off the field. And now all of a sudden, instead of losing seasons every year, he's in the Super Bowl and probably going to win it. If that doesn't prove that this is all a farce, I don't know what does. I mean, I definitely think there there's a culture change aspect to the NFL. And I would say it seems like Joe Burrow has changed the culture because, well, yeah, the, the guy before he got there, they weren't like, oh, I don't know how to win a football game. But he at least brought that confidence to them. And Matt Stafford may have done the same thing for the Rams. I mean, the guys seemed pretty happy that they didn't have to count on Jared Goff when that trade happened. So, again, I don't even know if it's as active as the quarterback comes in and goes, oh, this is how we're going to do things now. But when they think they're talented or know they're talented, it gives the team a certain confidence to kind of play more aggressive or play more free or whatever. So, I don't know. I think Stafford, he got anyone that, like, brings in the wins aspect is just silly to me. So, holding Stafford back because they didn't win much in Detroit was silly to me. And elevating Joe Burrow because they're winning a bunch right now is silly to me. So I don't know. I don't think it really plays in in reality all that much. I think it adds in a little bit, but it's it's just some psychological edge, maybe. I feel like we've covered this enough. There is some other offseason news from this week. We got a, a bunch of the coaching hires fleshed out. Do you want to cover those? Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh I mean not all the coaching hires are in yet, but let's uh let's talk about the ones that have trickled down just because I fucking want it. All right. How about we start with those uh, Chicago Bears hiring Matt, is it Eberflus? Eberflus? Eberflus, Eberflus. which it is, (laughs) 
Eberflus is German for the forever river, which also translates to flowing forever because river and flowing are like the same thing. But um, that's kind of cool. Things that flowed forever were offenses playing the Colts that didn't turn the ball over. Look at me. Nice. I've had that one in the chamber for like two, three weeks. Um, yeah, I didn't know were you we were excited gonna go this when they hired him so that you could make that joke. A little bit. Um, yeah, I that, that if there was any excitement, that's where it came from. I didn't know we were going to start with the Bears. I didn't really do this to honestly. My my breakup from the Bears is going so well because I legitimately didn't even think like, oh yeah, my team has a new coach because I really don't think of the Bears anymore. It's kind of great. Honestly, I envy you. If if this next year with the Browns goes poorly and and like they just dump Baker and everyone is turned on each other and it gets super toxic again, it it might push me to that level. And I'm kind of hoping it does for that reason. Like not hoping it does because they still have me, but I know what you're saying. Oh, I mean, it's lovely. I really enjoy it. Um, anyhow, I'm like really at peace with my football life. <laughs> um. No, Matt Eberflus, I thought it was a terrible hire because I didn't think Matt Eberflus was a good defensive coordinator. The Colts ran the most vanilla cover two defense in the NFL, and it actually wasn't any good other than the fact that they forced takeaways. And I don't care what people say. You can't force takeaways so much as you can fail to squander opportunities. Like you can take advantage of opportunities when turnovers present themselves. I don't think Matt. I don't think Matt Eberflus had anything to do with Darius Leonard being really good at punching the ball out because he was good at that at NC State or SC State or whichever. And like, if you play against bad quarterbacks such as I don't know rookie Trevor Lawrence or Tyrod Taylor or rookie Davis Mills, you're gonna have a few more chances to pick a ball off than if you're playing in the AFC West, for instance. Like turnovers are mostly just a total fucking luck and variance on fumbles and be a product of bad quarterback play i agree with you on turnovers i honestly i don't really get into predicting coaches anymore because obviously i got a lot of experience growing up with the browns <laughs> and i was often wrong this the same with the league in general where i'm like wow i love that what a great hire and the guy fucking sucks or I look at someone that gets hired and go, I don't really think that's going to work. And then he ends up being the only guy that sticks around. So I, I just feel like we don't really know with head coaches because there's so much that goes into the job. I think we can get inklings with, I think, offensive head coaches have a big uh, head start just because the way the NFL is now. But unless it's a guy we've seen coach before, we don't really know. 100%. So with all that said, I don't think Iberflus will be a great hire. Well, so, he doesn't seem like the the just absolute charismatic front leader that everyone's going to rally around. And he's a defensive guy, which immediately puts you behind the ball because at best you go like, sweet, yeah, we don't give up a lot of points, but that doesn't do much. You think for like the the mental health of your team. So you see a lot of like defensively strong teams, obviously Vic Fangio and the Broncos are recent memory, but like guys turn on that. If your offense is good, people are okay with it. Cause like you can always figure out defense is I think how a lot of people look at it. And so he has that where he's already at a disadvantage. And then he's like, I agree with you. I don't, their defense was not anything crazy special. I'm not a Colt savant, so I can't talk to all of it, but yeah, I was very unimpressed by the hiring. Who knows? He might be great. So, but th this is 
I agree with you that it's really difficult to know about a coach when they haven't been a head coach before. I totally agree. But in this particular case, I just don't see an avenue towards fuck greatness. I don't see an avenue towards good. Like, first of all, he already said he doesn't call plays. He refuses. So he's going to design a defense, and we know that he designs really vanilla defenses, and then he's going to have somebody call it for him. Now, if they do an awesome fucking job calling it, they're gone because they'll get hired away. And then on offense, he has no fucking clue what's going on, so he needs to turn it all over to a really strong offensive coordinator. But again, if it's any good, it's gone within a year or two because that person will become a head coach. So from a play calling standpoint and a play design standpoint, he ain't shit. And like, there's no path for him to be shit. Like there's no path for him to be any good as far as the X's and O's go. And then as far as motivation goes, one, I don't think it matters that much. And two, even if he is a good motivator, which I don't know. And even if on top of being a good motivator, he like knows the ins and outs of when to go for it on fourth down, how aggressive to be run pass ratio. He's still missing the entire X's and O's side of the ball. And I can't name one coach that has no X's and O's input or positive influence who's actually a good coach, except for Jim Harbaugh, or sorry, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh, who is the best at fourth down play calling and like when to kick, also found an extreme niche by hiring offensive and defensive coordinators who are really fucking good and really fucking unique and just too old to get head coaching jobs, right? So like, unless Matt Eberflus is going to be extremely creative in who he hires on both sides of the ball, which he isn't because he's already hired and it's not impressive. He has no long-term path to success unless he's perfect with the other things. And historically, defensive coaches are really conservative on fourth downs and they love to run the ball. Unless you're Brandon Staley and then you're really aggressive on fourth downs and still like to run the ball too much. I just don't see how it can work. Yeah, I I think you're correct. Harbaugh is the only one that's been able to have success as just being kind of the the true CEO head coach. It, I think you have better luck keeping a defensive coordinator around just because they don't get hired away as much. But you're yeah. right. If, if the offense does well, someone's getting hired away. Now, granted, the Bills are going through that right now, and they may have just hit a home run and hiring or promoting Dorsey to the coordinator and getting Joe Brady in as the QB coach. So there is an avenue for it to work. I agree that it's much less stable, though. So I was having a discussion with Big Cat from Barstool like a week ago, about a week ago, when the Bears did hire Eberflus. And we spoke about, basically, I explained to him, you can never hire a defensive head coach. It's just always a bad proposition. And he was like, well, but why? Like, look at all these really good coaches who are defensive coaches, like Sean McDermott, Brandon Staley, Brian Flores, Mike Vrabel. I said, first of all, Mike Vrabel is probably the worst coach in the NFL, probably. Uh, and if you don't understand why, like, I can't help you. He's the worst fourth down decision maker. He enforces terrible game plans on offense and his teams aren't even particularly disciplined. So what the fuck is he here for? Um, Brian Flores, touchier subject. I think he's probably a Jeff Fisher caliber coach but we're not going to get into brian flores uh, at all in any way shape or form and then brand staley i think is a bad coach i think he hurts his defense and his offense and his special teams and finally you've got sean mcdermott who's kind of the outlier but this is hear me out he's got brian dable as his offensive coordinator that's an awesome hire he was an awesome offensive coordinator and i think he's going to be a real good head coach for the giants i really do i think that's an a hire getting ahead of ourselves 
And then Sean McDermott, to his credit, replaces a really good offensive coordinator with a guy who everybody's pretty sure is going to be a really good offensive coordinator. And then replaces that quarterback coach who got promoted with a guy who's actually a really good offensive coordinator already in Joe Brady. So he seems to be batting a zillion when it comes to hiring offensive coaches, you know, because like now if Ken Dorsey gets promoted to head coach somewhere, he's got Joe Brady in the wing. Like he's stacked. He's ensured himself at least two years of success on offense. But how long can you keep that going? for? How many times can you like having a defensive head coach is playing Russian roulette. Every time you get a good head coach or I mean a good offensive coordinator, he becomes a head coach. You spin the barrel and you shoot again. So yeah, on his first pull, he had Brian Dable. He pulled the trigger and out popped a Ken Dorsey. That's fine. He can live through that. He might even be better off. Who knows? And maybe he spins it one more time and he gets a Joe Brady. Are you pulling a trigger the third time playing Russian roulette? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a more dangerous and unstable situation. But in fairness, if you're okay with the uncertainty, offensive coaches get fired all the time. Like good offensive coordinators that are bad head coaches are on the market on a yearly basis. Almost. Name two. Uh, this year. This Guys year. you could hire as an OC. I know who they are. I just don't want you to say it. Well, now, now I'm on. I'm under pressure. This year alone, you could hire Matt Nagy and Bill O'Brien to be your offensive coordinator, and you've got a very good offensive coordinator right there. Um, granted, you hire Bill O'Brien, he's gone in a year because he will be a head coach, likely. But this is what I'm talking about: that there are recently disgraced offensive play callers that are very good offensive play callers that are recently fired because they were bad head coaches or didn't have a successful enough run as a head coach. And you can keep picking and popping. Guy lasts for a year or two. Again, it's unstable. I wouldn't want to go through with it, but you can do it. There is a way. And there's also a way to never have to pay a quarterback on a second contract by just continually drafting dudes in the first round and hoping you hit. And I think it's a similarly risky proposition. But I also think you get the downside of, let's say, let's say every year you stream offensive coordinators like that and you just you nail it. You know, last year you would have gone and gotten Joe Brady. He leaves and then you go and get Matt Nagy this year. And then the year after that, you go and get, you know, who's going to be fired. I don't know who's going to be fired. Cliff. Cliff Kingsbury. Boom. You get Clint. And so that's three years in a row of really good offensive play designers and play callers. They all run really different fucking offenses. And you're changing your offense every year. You've seen firsthand with Baker Mayfield. That can sometimes not be so cool. One might even say it could hinder your team's performance and development. You know, you have a point there. I feel like we've covered the the issue of hiring a defensive head coach. Yes. Do you want to go to some teams that hired offensive head coaches? Namely, yes. all of the other teams? <laughs> yes, I do. So we'll just keep going alphabetical order here. Uh, the Denver Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett away from the Green Bay Packers, hoping for a little Aaron Rodgers connection. Yeah, so I think the only way to make sense of this hire is if you're hoping that Aaron Rodgers loves Nathaniel Hackett enough to follow him to Denver. And all reports are that they are good friends. Um, but I, I think that would be so hilariously ironic because Nathaniel Hackett is, I don't think he's a good play caller. Like every year that he's called plays in the NFL, and it's happened three times, he's led the league in both rushes and run percentage. So this dude is an offensive Mike Vrabel. And people like to point to like, oh, 
but he took Blake Bortles and the Jaguars to the playoffs. And it's like, well, it's not like Blake Bortles was particularly productive. They just had a really good defense and got kind of fucking lucky. Like, where where else has he been the offensive coordinator? Uh, Jags, Jags, and all right. Okay, so, so we did a little I, research. No, fuck you. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett called plays in Jacksonville and with the Buffalo Bills in 2013 and 14. Now you can talk. So I brought up that these were all Doug Marone head coach teams. And maybe Doug Marone was pulling a Brable and saying, hey, Nathaniel, you got to run the ball 35 times a game. Also in Buffalo, he had EJ Manuel. So I understand why they ran the ball. But go okay. ahead. Tell me why I'm wrong. While we were not recording and we were doing the research, I was just about to say, no, fuck you. Here's why you're wrong. Yes, Nathaniel Hackett called plays for Doug Marone in Jacksonville. And yes, he called plays for Doug Marone in Buffalo. But do you know what he did before that? What did he do before that? He called plays for Doug Marone at Syracuse. So you can't tell me, oh, this is just Doug Marone, like handicap, like kneecapping his play calling. When this dude has literally only ever been in the NFL, aside from two years with the Packers because Doug Marone wanted him there. He is Doug Marone's handpicked dude that he brought with him every fucking place he went. Do you think there's a reason for that? He might just be really good at following orders. Well, people who are really good at following orders typically aren't very good at giving. I was about to see a great uh, quality for a head coach. <laughs> so No, like everywhere he's gone, they have run the ball way too much. And then... He was with the Packers for the last two years, who actually kind of run the ball, like, arguably a little too much. But also, he didn't fucking call or design plays. He did nothing. He hung out. He was a glorified quarterback coach, which is why Aaron Rodgers loves him. It was a sec effectively his quarterback's coach. Yeah, this is another one that doesn't impress me on its face because of kind of what you just listed. The guy hasn't been successful as an offensive play caller before, and now it seems like it's you – know, where the joke was anyone that was buddies with McVay could get hired. This was a anybody that's buddies with Rogers or from the, the McVay coaching tree. Mm -hmm. LaFleur is best friends with McVay. He leaves McVay. Now his buddies are getting like it's so incestuous. Yeah, it's it's the meeting of the uh the trees, but well, the grand irony is that they hired this dude who's probably a bad coach and they did it so that they could attract Aaron Rodgers, but like Loki, Aaron Rodgers isn't very good. Not anymore. I mean, he'll he'll turn them into a contender because that team is so good, though. Now this is a topic for another podcast, and that offense will be potent as long as they allow Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball, and he doesn't fall off a cliff. Obviously, like that, all bets are off if he does that. But dude, that defense kind of sucks. That it may. We'll see what they I, do in the off season. Yeah, and that's why it's a topic for another day. But regardless. Anything else to say about Mr. Hackett? Who sounds like a just 1780s farmer, Nathaniel Hackett. I, I actually think I saw Nathaniel Hackett on one of those statues in Boston about the pilgrims. It sounds really believable. God, I wish, I wish I had the buck nasty clip from the player haters ball. He said, like, hey, that's the dude who pumped my gas. <laughs> but alas, I can't cancel myself. So well, here's, here's a hire that... A little more optimistic about the New York football giants hiring Brian Dable. I love this hire. I love this hire. And I don't like saying this. I really don't like saying this, but I love the way the giants are set up. 
Now they will squander because they are the Giants. So they will say, you know, we got some really good coaches, got a nice defense, got a ton of weapons. I don't want to just give Daniel Jones another shot, and that'll be a waste. But they are a quarterback away. That is it. That is the only piece they need. And and health with their playmakers because their playmakers get hurt like crazy. Yeah, but, but I got to assume that's random. Yeah. I agree with you. I think Dable, I have a couple reservations about him because as with pretty much everyone in the NFL, he spent a little bit of time in Cleveland. He was there with Eric Mangini, who notorious hard ass. And Dable apparently bought into that culture hardcore and just hazed the fuck out of people on that team. Now, that's not like the only report. I guess he was just brutal to Colt McCoy, like would just scream at him all the time, say, I don't know why we drafted you. Other players on the team would even be like, dude, how like how do you put up with that? I I can't I don't even know how you go through that. It's been a while since then. It's been like a decade plus. I, there are reports that he's matured a lot, but he might still be kind of a dick. And unless you're really successful right away, that has a short lifespan. And I don't know if they're going to be successful right away because they're going to do Daniel Jones for another year because Mara will make them. And okay. then it'll be trying to get a quarterback from there. So it might be slow going. It could go bad for him. But on its face, he's a great play caller. I love his offense. They have good they have good bones. They have good bones. And I can refute your worries. I can I can quell all your fears. Um quell me, Joe. He did an interview in the summer alongside Josh Allen on part of my take. And he seemed pretty fucking cool, dude. Therefore <laughs> Um that doesn't have the effect on me that you may have hoped for. <laughs> I don't know, man. If you can handle not strangling Tua Tagovailoa to death in college, and remember, he coached Tua. But if you cannot kill him, maybe you've worked on your anger management. It seems a lot better than I have. So yeah, I it, it's him very possible. Like there, He's stopped at a lot of high-profile places. He's had a lot of success since, and reports are that he's matured a lot. But that's the only reservation I have with him is that, you know, he is a little bit younger as coaches go and he's had problems in the past. But yeah, he's fat. When you're that when you're that fat, the youth doesn't it's not you're not young anymore. It's Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid's always been 60 cuz you reach a certain weight and you're just 60. That's fair. Honestly, I don't think that's entirely untrue. I mean, physically you might as well be 60. I mean, your body's been through 60 years of shit. And then also like I can't look at one of those super fat dudes and be like, "Oh, young immature coach." Like, no. You learn a lot of things when you're eating all that food. <laughs> There's a lot of knowledge. <laughs> Become a lot wise. Of knowledge in those calories. Anything else you want to say about the Giants? No, nah, we can stop fat shaming and move on to the next coach. <laughs> the absolute diamond of a franchise, Jacksonville Jaguars hired Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winner, which they made sure to mention a lot uh, when talking about him. I... <laughs> I was reading the like eight page fucking essay that Shad Khan posted explaining why he hired Doug Peterson. My first thought being, me thinks the Lady Delft protest too much. You you didn't fucking want this guy, huh? But they spent one two sentence paragraph talking about how Doug Peterson was the coach of a 2018 Eagles team that Malcolm Jenkins led in tackles with 80 tackles. What sort of backwards fucking pageantry is that? How the fuck? Malcolm Jenkins is not on the Jaguars. He is on the Saints. 
and he's not good anymore. And he had nothing to do with the offensive-minded head coach. And 80 tackles isn't even a good amount of tackles. And you shouldn't also want a defensive back leading your team in tackles. That's bad. Every ounce of that paragraph just gave me AIDS and confusion. And then more, it was, this franchise really needs to be confiscated. Like, again, we're not going to talk about the Brian Flores ordeal, but if the Dolphins were actually paying a coach to lose games, if that's a thing, that franchise should be confiscated. But first, you must confiscate the Jacksonville Jaguars because whatever the fuck is going on there, it is worse. Confiscate them. Yeah, it's Shave like Shotgun's level, dumb mustache. This level of ineptitude is almost more worthy of punishment than gross malpractice. If Okay, so Occam's razor is never blame evil for the work that stupidity will do, right? I don't think stupidity can do this work. This is, I have never seen stupidity do this much work for these many years. It's been, in our lifetimes, we've never seen Jacksonville be like particularly not a disaster. They've had a couple years. You know, they had that one year when uh, they knocked Brady out, or almost knocked Brady out. They lost. Uh, and then they had some some years of David Garrard. And one year of David Garrard. And MJD. They had one year of that working. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They've kind of been a, a dumpster fire my entire life. I, I don't disagree that Shad Khan is a very bad owner. I don't think that he's purposely bad. I think he just doesn't really know what the hell he's doing. I and... really don't understand how he became. I, I, have I told the story on the podcast of the man that I met that is a millionaire that was like, oh, Shad Khan, he's a smart man. He'll figure it out. I don't know if you have. I was sitting, having a beer. No, I was not having a beer because I was in high school. We're going to scrub that from the record. No, I'm not naming any names. So I was having a beer at my, my sister was having a play date with her friend. I was picking her up. I was having a beer talking to the girl's dad, right? And we were having a conversation. He's a millionaire. He lives on the north side of Chicago and he went to Northwestern and therefore he had become tight with Shad Khan. They were like old buddies, uh, Shad Khan being an Illinois guy. Um, and I was saying how the Jaguars are really fucking up. I can't believe that they're sticking with Blaine Gabbert. He's so fucking bad. And their new uniforms are hideous. And they keep on talking about moving to London. This is all a disaster. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. Shad's one of the smartest men I've ever met. He, he'll get this figured out. Look at how much money he's made. He's a billionaire. And he started as a car parts salesman. He'll figure it out. And I thought, I don't fucking think so. But maybe I don't know as much as this 60-year-old millionaire. I am only 16. For what it's worth. Well, no, it turns out I was fucking right. And that millionaire was a dumb shit. And that billionaire is a dumber shit. And that 16-year-old kid, he's got something going on in his head. Because Shad Khan has only gotten worse. Yeah, they've they've only gotten worse. And he just continues to go down the rabbit hole. It, it seems like someone that, because they've had so much success in the past, they can't, like, wrap their head around that they suck at this. Yeah. It, I feel like, honestly, it's what the Panthers are going to go through. With Tepper, yeah. who came in like crazy gung ho, and like I'm getting a football guy in here, and all this, and they're a fire, and it's only going to get worse until Tepper like kind of re realizes what's what. I mean, the Haslam's went through it in Cleveland, where when they first came in, they were meddling like crazy, and were all involved in chasing hot names and everything, and it was a complete disaster. And once they kind of reeled back and took their hands off the reins a little bit and just like let people involved in sports make decisions, things got at least better. And I think it's the same thing in Jacksonville where he's 
apparently very smart and capable in other avenues, but he is an idiot when it comes to football or trying to build a professional team or getting the right people in to build a professional team. Or choosing a style of facial hair. Well, yeah. Honestly, I think his mustache is glorious, but... You can't have that mustache when you're also an utter and complete failure in all of your public-facing endeavors. Well, he's a billionaire, so I feel like that's exactly when you can have that mustache. He owns a failing soccer team and a failing football team. A billionaire with a B. <laughs> he's got a yacht. He does have a yacht. Like, he... He can just literally light money on fire for the rest of his life, and he will still have a much easier avenue to happiness than me, even if both of his teams are forever the worst team. That is so pathetic, but it's utterly true. Yeah. Okay, well, they are a tire fire. Doug Peterson was a bad coach. He'll probably continue to be a bad coach, and it might not matter because it looks like they might get Matt Nagy to be their offensive coordinator, which guarantees them at least one, probably two, years of good offensive football and Trevor Lawrence developing, or even if he doesn't develop, because development's a little bit of a crock, he'll at least show enough that the public will get off his back and let him continue trying to play football, whether it be in Jacksonville or somewhere else. Yeah, I think if they get Matt Nagy, that's a whole other thing, because I think he's a good play caller. Yeah. And Doug Peterson is very good at, he just lets his guys work, and it's to his detriment when he picks the wrong guys, but if he gets the right people in there, it can go really well. I mean, Eagles did win a Super Bowl because he put people in the position and just said, go do your things. Yeah, he hired, Frank really Reich. he hired Frank Reich and he hired uh, Jim, Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz, yep. I almost called him Jeff, but that's the offensive lineman with bad takes. Um, yeah, no, he hired two really fucking good coordinators and they took him to the promised land and then they left and then he floundered. But, you know, another thing is he'll go for it on fourth down. So... As much as they're a tire fire, because they should have had Byron Leftwich, it would have been a mildly better hire, simply because he'll actually call the plays, whereas Peterson He won't. would have played so much better for that, for just oh, the PR aspect of it. Oh the P goodness. on so many levels, like coming home to save the team that he was supposed to save as a player, but couldn't because he sucks and is kind of chubby. And then, like, you know the Brian Flores aspect of things and frankly just the fact that everybody wanted him and it looked like he was going to come and then they failed because they wouldn't get rid of the shitty GM who's fired four head coaches in his last four years as a GM. Yeah that's the other reason why they're still doomed even if Peterson assembles an amazing staff is that yeah, Trent Paulke is get good players. Yeah Trent Paulke is the GM or however you say his name and has the ear of the owner. Somehow apparently bulky is the type to meddle too because apparently the story is that he picked every coach on urban meyer's staff last year urban meyer did not get to pick his staff bulky did apparently bulky fancies himself a defensive guru and likes to go to the defensive team meetings and give his input on player deployment and scheme so this dude is not only bad at his job but he's also bad at other jobs that aren't even his and he does them it's bad yeah it's not good i've heard very very bad things about him i i don't have reason to disbelieve when they're this prevalent and they're they're gonna be in a tough spot until shad khan takes a step away and they get an adult in the room no you know what's gonna happen is he's gonna hand it all to his son tony who's an even bigger fucking idiot but who likes analytics he doesn't do them or like know what they are but he says analytics a lot. And so he will hire some fucking doofuses like Evan Sharp or something. And then they will 
or Evan Silva, Warren Sharp, the idiots on Twitter who are like, oh, I know how to be a coach. Don't run the ball on first down. It's like, well, you're right, but also you don't know anything else. And notoriously, billionaire sons are much sounder of mind than yeah the, that's uh, that's that's why tony khan just invested like 500 million dollars into a startup wrestling company to rival wwe that's really smart especially with a lot of other companies already popping up and rivaling wwe with a decent amount of success so yeah. you want to get into saturated markets is what i hear saturated niche markets that are past their prime oh can't beat it well i think we've Spent entirely too much time on the Jaguars. Uh, yes, let's talk just about, like Sean uh, Khan has. Another team with wonderful ownership. The Las Vegas Raiders hired Josh McDaniels away from the Patriots. I actually love it. I love it on a bunch of levels. First of all, I love it because Bill Belichick has lost his crutch. However, I mean, like, it looks like they're going to get Bill O'Brien, who is a very, very good replacement, probably about the same caliber of coach. Um, however... Any chance to cripple Belichick, I am down with. I like this hire. I like it a lot. I think that Josh McDaniels was actually fairly good in Denver, albeit a dickhead. And like, let's not forget that I think there were 5-0, and and Kyle Orton was like leading the NFL in a bunch of passing stats before everything just imploded because everybody hated McDaniels. Yeah, this is another one where it's kind of similar to Dable in that I think he's a great offensive mind. In theory, this is a really good hire. He should be able to develop a creative offense and tailor it to his players, not just try and shove them all into what he wants. They'll have a lot of freedom in Vegas. Davis is involved. Uh, but is is he enough of an adult now that he's not going to make the entire team hate him or alienate the players? I got to think. Like, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, and I just, like, everybody likes to assume that everybody's like them, and I just can't imagine having that hard of a time getting along with people that I wanted to get along with. Like, I'm a prickly son of a bitch, and I'm goddamn misanthropic, but I have never met a room full of people I couldn't get along with if I needed to, you know? At least yeah, for I a think, few fucking weeks. Yeah, I think that's where <laughs> ego comes into it, because in in these fields, when you get to this level of... Uh, kind of money and pressure people's egos are humongous so you just oh, have no. a bunch of people that think they're like the smartest guy in the room or the most talented guy to touch the field look no further than matt patricia exactly uh and that's a little bit of what it sounds like happened to mcdaniels in denver so i think mm -hmm. it's an ego thing as much as a anger thing but we'll see I think that one will at least be interesting because it has the potential to be really good. I think he can do a lot of fun things with that offense. It's probably my second favorite hire behind Dable. Yeah, I'll be interested to see who else he brings along with him. I'll be, I'll be interested to see what Josh McDaniels can do without Belichick forcing him to be conservative and without Mac Jones castrating his offense. Because Josh McDaniels, over the last year, the Patriots became a really run-centric team, yeah? Because Mac Jones has... If Joe Burrow has retro bowl arm talent, Mac Jones has. You ever play that fucking, like that contraption, that game from when we were little? It's like a little box. You squeeze the lever and it kind of like flips the mini basketball at the hoop. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The little like Mac game. Yeah, and like you just like you have to hit the trigger real hard so the ball actually goes hard and like high enough to get into the little hoop. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that game was that game was great, and I could never fucking do it because I was like four and my fingers were not strong yet. Uh, that is Mac Jones' arm. That level of velocity, that little ball barely making it up to the hoop with a five-year-old. Like, 
squeezing. It is very weak. That is a niche deep cut. And for everybody that gets it, I appreciate you. But yeah, so I would love to see what Josh McDaniels can do with that super creative run game that he developed using the Patriots offense. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention. And every single run play they ran was so creative. It had some element of trickery or motion. And then there were also offshoots off of them. Like, uh, you know, we'll run this halfback dive, but there's also a wide receiver jet sweeping around the back and we'll do it like two more times. And then all of a sudden, just when you think we will pitch it to the wide receiver on the jet sweep after faking the dive, just genius shit like that. Um, you know, and now he'll actually be able to throw again, which we know he has a propensity for. Now he wasn't a great offensive coordinator with the Rams and Sam Bradford, but that might be because Sam Bradford is Sam Bradford. Yeah. It's very limited. Very limited options with him, but I don't, I don't know. I think it could be interesting. Like you said, he's got creative offenses and he seems to tailor well to the talent that he has, which I feel like is a big step for a lot of coaches because a lot of them come in and go, Oh, I run this kind of offense or I run this kind of defense and we're going to make it happen. And it normally leads to the team sucking for a year or so, or just underperforming. But I also think, I, I think that the problem that the Raiders are going to have is they're going to stick with Derek Carr. And as good as McDaniels is, he's not going to be significantly better than John Gruden as a play caller because there's just not a lot of room to be better while you have Derek Carr. And like the upside is you don't get the emails of John Gruden and you don't get the head-scratching first-round picks of John Gruden, but you might get the Tim Tebow first-round pick of Josh McDaniels. I don't fucking know. I hope not, but I don't fucking know. So like there's upside for him to be a better version of John Gruden, but it is limited. And I think that's kind of just where the Raiders cap outright. I agree with you because I think there is Derek Carr is also in that Kirk Cousins level. Yeah. Of he's he's solid. You can win games with him. He'll put up good stats. He'll hit some big throws for you, but he's just too often not good enough. But I think they'll be fine with McDaniels. They'll have a productive offense. And, I mean, Gruden's biggest downfall was the defense was just such a fucking mess. Obviously, the emails were the biggest downfall. But his biggest football-related downfall was the defense was such a mess. Well, unless you want to consider the fact that he took full control over the first-round picks and he turned, like, 10 first-round picks into one or two players who belong in the NFL. That Yeah, that was a, a large misstep as well. And, like, two or three of them that will probably die in prison. Not a great track record. <laughs> McDaniels can't do much worse and maybe I have they even talked about their structure is because they brought the other dude from New England with him didn't he to be the yeah, GM I'm not, yeah I'm not sure like if a coach and a GM come as a package deal that could tell me one of two things it could tell me the coach really trusts this GM and he's gonna keep his hands off or it could tell me this is his pawn and he's just bringing in his fall guy exactly like Gruden did with Mayock precisely but We'll have to see what happens in Vegas. It definitely won't be boring, and I'm excited for it. We can get to the last filled position with the Minnesota Vikings hiring Kevin O'Connell, who I will admit I know next to nothing about. I'm excited about this one. Um, it is my second or third favorite hire. Dable's first, but I might like this more than McDaniels. I think I like McDaniels more because it's a little bit more predictable. There's a little bit less guesswork, but this – uh. This Irish feller, this O'Connell man, his pedigree is nice. First of all, he was in the NFL for four years, uh, and he was absolutely no fucking good, bounced around to a ton of fucking teams, 
and bad quarterbacks who keep on hanging on, I love when they become coaches because they didn't have the talent to just play football. They had to actually like know what was going on. They had to be hard workers. They had to be diligent. And frankly, their favorite plays were the ones that they found easiest to succeed on. If I'm, let's say I'm Aaron Rodgers, my favorite play is probably going to be something that's really hard to execute, but fucking devastating when it does, right? Like some kind of 35 yard, like out pattern, right? Like not a lot of people can do it, but if you can do it, it's fucking killer. And it looks cool too. If I'm Kevin O'Connell and I have no fucking arm and I'm kind of small, I really love the plays that are easy to complete. Just get me the first down. So that's what, that's a large reason why bad quarterbacks tend to make really good coaches. Well, Kevin O'Connell quit being a quarterback in 2012 and immediately went into coaching. He was the Browns quarterback coach in 2015 for one year. Was everyone has worked in Cleveland? Who was the offensive coordinator in Cleveland that year? Was that was that? So he went from Cleveland under John DeFilippo as quarterbacks coach to San Francisco for a year just to rehab himself. And then he went to the Redskins under Jay Gruden, where he stayed from 2017 to 2019. Now, say what you will about the Redskins, say what you will about Jay Gruden. Both of them have elements of being very creepy, but they knew how to call an offense. They're the ones who got Kirk Cousins paid $30 million a year guaranteed. That's good. So after he left the Redskins because Jay Gruden can't keep it in his pants, he went to the Rams where he has been for the last two years. And he has been the offensive coordinator, Sean McVay's right-hand man, somebody that Sean McVay credits a lot with keeping that offense fresh to the extent that it can. So yeah, my my issue with it's the same thing as guys that come from the Chiefs is that I never know how much they do. Like how much is McVay and how much is O'Connell? That's a great point. Well, I mean, even with Jay Gruden, like Jay Gruden called the plays and he did a damn good job. So I don't know how much Kevin O'Connell, like if Jay Gruden's calling the plays and he's doing a really good job, I don't know how I can give Kevin O'Connell any credit for being the offensive coordinator. However, I do know that if two different good offensive play callers have decided that they need to keep this guy around them, there's a decent chance that he knows what he's doing, a la Matt LaFleur, a la uh, what's his Kyle name? Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, a la possibly even this fucking Mike McDaniel guy. Yeah. Like, to the extent that Mike McDaniel is a decent hire, this is a better one. Because Mike McDaniel has been kept around one dude, and he has been the run game coordinator and has not called plays. Whereas this dude actually made it to the NFL as a quarterback, where he proved he sucks, showing that he must have something going on up in his head. And then two different really good offensive play callers kept him around. So, I don't know. Both of them could totally fucking suck. But both of them are probably at least decent, and this one seems to be the better one. Also, he was hired by a very, uh, I mean, like, it's difficult to grade coaches. It's impossible to grade GMs, period. But the pedigree of the Vikings GM that hired this dude is a dude who is predominantly analytics-based, but also has done some scouting, just to check it off his resume, and is probably going to be on the forefront of aggression and offensive mindset. So I can't imagine that O'Connell's going to come in and be some kind of dud who's conservative. Well, we will have to see. I'm interested. I'm very intrigued. And frankly, it wouldn't be difficult for the Vikings to win that terrible division, especially with Rodgers leaving. We'll have to see if he leaves, too. Obviously, that'll that'll happen in the offseason because apparently the Packers are preparing a humongous deal to keep them. But there are a lot of uh, a lot of outside factors. 
Well, that said, I think we can wrap up the the coaching hires. Obviously, we're still waiting on the Dolphins, the Texans, and the Saints, but we got these first, what, six in? Yeah, I think we can save those three for when they come down, although I think the Dolphins are definitely hiring Mike McDaniel. It seems like that'll be interesting if if that's what happens, but we'll get to that when it happens. We'll jump off that bridge when we come to it, but before then, I got to say, and I know we're trying to stay away from Brian Flores shit, but can't call him racist. Mike McDaniel is technically black. He is. He is officially. He is uh, <laughs> half black. <laughs> On his papers. Mm-hmm. All right. He, go ahead. We don't need to go down that road any further. <laughs> I was going to say, before we go down that road and get ourselves in trouble, take a quick break and then do game. Yeah. 